Section 9 of A Short History of France by Mary Duclos. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Part 2. Chapter 2. Chivalry. I have said that feudalism was a low form of life because it was not a state of freedom, for there can be no liberty when a man's well-being and even his existence are guaranteed by no general law or public protection, but depend on the violence or amenity of a powerful neighbor. There was in the tenth century no central government dispensing safety to all, but everywhere the disordered combat of individual forces, leaders and bands of soldiers, and strong individuals, snatching as best they might the fragments of a shattered authority. Out of this welter of anarchy and barbarism, feudalism emerged as a desperate attempt at a real government, a hierarchy, and an order. The great feudal nobles admitted at least each other's rights, and composed not an organized society, but at least a voluntary confederation. They recognized, though loosely enough, certain duties toward each other, certain privileges, the same for all. A certain number of men, a confederation of petty despots, under the name of lords and vassals, were solidly established on their own estates, the humbler owing allegiance to the stronger, the greater owing protection to the less, and all of them invested on their own domains, in relation to their own subjects, with an arbitrary and absolute power. When the weak can only find protection and security in the service of the strong, there can be no freedom. Even the lord is a vassal of his overlord, and subject not to the law of the general good, but to the caprice of a sovereign. These great lords, protectors of the people, were always ready to wage war against each other, specialized for battle and plunder and rapine, they had no other interest in life. Each stood on his own dunghill crowing his victory. It seemed as if society, at last reconstituted, would remain void of true civilization, full of honor and courage, no doubt, but also of ignorance and brutality. Fortunately, in face of these feudal barons, the church existed, and the church was mindful of the poor. In the last years of the tenth century, she obtained from the military nobles the constitution of a truce of God. The trêve de Dieu was a close time for battles. There were certain days and seasons when the sword must perforce remain in the scabbard. The Catholic might wage no war between Advent and Epiphany neither from quinquagesima sunday until whitsuntide nor again during the month of may the blessed month of may and this is perhaps one reason why the medieval poets found the month of may so fair nor on fast days nor in any week might they declare war between wednesday evening and monday morning this was the truce there was also the peace of god perpetual peace must reign in churches and churchyards on village streets, in mill-yards, and on the king's highway. In places where this peace had been violated, the bells might no longer ring nor the mass be said, and the knight who had broken the peace was deprived of his alleu, the hereditary estate which he might bequeath to his heirs, and also of his fief, the feudal lands which he held from his overlord. 
thus reduced in time and place war ran between its banks like an angry river bordered by scenes of quiet and security the church had done much for the defenceless priests pilgrims monks and nuns children labouring people were no longer exposed to unending ravage the serf was safe who laid his hands on the stilt of his plough the plough like the altar was a sanctuary and the church did more than this by the institution of chivalry a new soul was breathed into the still barbaric body of feudal society the origin of this new order which all over europe appeared to spring spontaneously into life during the eleventh century was the application of the christian spirit to certain antique usages and customs brought into france by the franks and the burgons and evidently of germanic source the solemn investiture of the young soldier with his arms his sacred undertaking to accomplish certain feats the oath of fealty and homage the vow to respect women and the weak these are maxims which exist more or less in the oldest runes of scandinavia they are but the stuff which christianity was to fashion into the mystical vesture of the night by the dawn of the twelfth century the code of chivalry was complete the first duty of the perfect knight was to believe he must be all iron without and all faith within he must respect the weak and take up if needs be their defence in arms he must love his native country even to the death he must never flinch before a foe he must always be ready to wage war upon the infidel he must be faithful to his lord and exact in all his feudal obligations he must be not self-seeking but liberal and generous to all above all he must never lie his word must be his bond he must be everywhere the champion of right and justice in fact we inherit from chivalry our ideal of a gentleman special stress was laid on a true knight's defence of the defenceless circumstances have forced me to read some score of interminable medieval poems of chivalry this commandment lies at the root of them all the knight shall never seek his advantage at the expense of the weak and we remember how saint louis king of france when shipwrecked off the coast of cyprus in twelve fifty four refused to let himself be saved with the queen and their children in a small galley which the sailors brought from shore to them sir said that very perfect knight there are on this vessel some five hundred persons whose life is as dear to them as mine is to me you have no room for them they will be left stranded off the coast of cyprus i would rather share their danger with the queen and my children than be saved apart and the king continued his voyage on the starting groaning ship which reached in safety though slowly the shores of france the code of chivalry was completed by an ingenious system of education thanks to which the children of every feudal rank were bred in the traditions and raised to the standard of the class immediately above them at seven years old they were sent to the house or castle of their father's overlord where in return for their breeding they performed certain services of domesticity pages and varlets valet means vasslet however lofty were their birth 
Toward twelve years of age the little lad learned to ride and to furbish and use his arms. It was now his privilege to follow his lord on his adventures, solid on his horse, carrying a shield and a lance. He was the acquier, the shield-bearer, the squire. But in time of peace the stables were his quarters, and your young baron was little better than a groom. A few years later, between sixteen and twenty, the squire was made a knight, and put on, for the sacred fast and vigil of his arms, the white tunic, sign of purity, the red robe, which symbolizes the blood that he must shed, and the black jerkin that betokens death, the close companion of the knighted arms. End of section nine.